I've been thinking all week long uh, on the line of God's precious word. That's one reason I wanted you to sing that song, because of the effect that the Bible definitely has in a person's life. I've been impressed so many times to read the comments of some of the notable people of history and of this country and of other countries concerning the Bible. Abraham Lincoln's name is a familiar name to all of us. Abe Lincoln said concerning the Bible, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. George Washington also has his words recorded concerning the Bible. And George Washington said, It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. I would that some of our leaders today would get hold of that very truth and uh, uh, make it a part of their life. Napoleon Bonaparte, the great French uh, military genius, said, The Bible is no mere book, but a living creature with a power that conquers all that oppose it. Daniel Webster, whose book most of us have been acquainted with at one time or other, the dictionary, Daniel Webster said this, If there is anything in my thoughts or style to commend, the credit is due to my parents for instilling in me and uh, instilling in me uh, an early love for the scriptures. He continued to say, if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we in our posterity neglect its instruction and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. Patrick Henry said, the great man with a voice for liberty, Patrick Henry said, the Bible is worth all other books which have ever been printed. And Ulysses S. Grant, one of our presidents, said, the Bible is the sheet anchor of our liberties. Andrew Jackson, old Hickory, said, this book or that book, sir, is the rock on which our republic stands. Robert E. Lee, one of my great heroes, Robert E. Lee said, in all my perplexities and distresses, the Bible has never failed to give me light and strength. And then John Quincy Adams, another of our presidents, said, so great is my veneration for the Bible that the earlier my children begin to read it, the more confident will be my hope that they will prove to be useful citizens of their country and respectable members of society. I have for many years made it a practice to read through the Bible once every year. Sir Isaac Newton, the great scientist of the past, said, There are more sure marks of authenticity in the Bible 
than in any profane history. On and on I could read you these comments, but they impress me. And they are statements made by men of renown, men of history, especially as it relates to our country here. The Bible, God's precious word. I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, and we'll read beginning at verse number 9. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 9. Paul is writing to young Timothy. In the first eight verses of this chapter, Paul gives some 20 characteristics that will be evident in what he calls the last days. 20 characteristics. Now, I'd rather, I'm not going to talk about those characteristics tonight. But in the first eight verses, he has talked to uh, Timothy about that. And then he reminds him of two Janus and Jambres who withstood Moses and how these who are corruptors of the truth withstood or withstand and resist the truth. And then at verse 9, he goes on to say to Timothy, But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, and afflictions. Now let me ask you to hold your finger there. And I'll point out to you that Paul mentions to Timothy some nine distinct things that he said, Timothy, you are aware of these things. And I want you to watch what he says he knows about, uh, about Paul. Thou hast fully known my doctrine. We live in a day when you don't know the doctrine of a lot of so-called preachers. You don't know what they believe and what they're teaching. I often have complained here and I complain everywhere else about these churches that don't even have a name to them. They're just called the church. And uh, you don't know whether Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian or what. Now, I believe that uh, doctrine is an essential in a Christian's life. Doctrine is like the skeleton of your body. It's like the bone of your body. If you didn't have bones or skeleton, you'd just be a rolling blob of flesh. In fact, you probably wouldn't even be able to roll. And yet the church must have a doctrine. The word doctrine basically means teaching. And that is teaching according to the scripture. But notice something else. If doctrine does not translate into, in the, into the way a person lives, his teaching and his doctrine is utterly useless. And Paul said, Timothy, not only have you known what I believe and what I teach and what I preach. And you know, Paul was primarily a teacher. He was an evangelist, but he was primarily a teacher who taught the Word of God as you'll find in so many of his epistles that are given to us in the Scripture. But he said, Timothy, you know my manner of life. You know the kind of fellow I am. You know the kind of life I live. And so doctrine needs to be translated into the manner of life that we live. But he said, Timothy... You also know my purpose, my purpose. 
to glorify the Lord Jesus, to proclaim his gospel, to let the good news be heralded around this known world. And so he said, you know my purpose. You know, you wonder sometimes about the purpose of some Christian. What is your goal? What's the purpose in your life? Paul said, Timothy, you know what my purpose has been. And that is as a missionary, teaching, preacher, evangelist. I have, my purpose is to carry the word. And then he said, you know also my faith. Now, this word faith doesn't apply to saving faith as so much as it does supplying faith. And Paul is saying, Timothy, you know how I've just had to trust God for what I've had, for the means to carry on. And you know, faith in practice is such an essential teacher to others. If, we, if we're always worried, if we're always complaining, always filled with anxiety, that's a sure sign that we have such little faith. And Jesus said to his disciples, Oh, ye of little faith. And so Paul said, Timothy, you know my faith. I've trusted the Lord for sustenance. And then he said, you know my long-suffering. That is his patience, his, his long-suffering. And I think the word charity goes alongside this word long-suffering. For love, charity that is, and charity today doesn't mean what it originally meant, 1611, almsgiving, but it simply is a word for love. Love will cause us to suffer long with others, even those who do not understand us, even those who may misrepresent our motives and even misrepresent our purpose in life. And so he said, you know my long suffering and my love. And he said, you know my patience. So many of us lack that quality, don't we? Some fellow had a little plaque on his desk and said, Dear Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now. Well, I don't know that I don't know that's very patient. But yet patience, gentleness in dealing with others. And then he said, You know my persecution. Hey, the man who will live godly in Christ Jesus, Paul will later say down at verse twelve. The man who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I don't think we really in this country know what that word means. I don't know any of us who have had stripes laid on our back or threatened with imprisonment. There have been some who have actually been sent to prison for their stand for the word of God. And yet there is that verbal persecution, that uh, sharp tongue, uh, the hostility that is shown so many. There may come a day when you and I will suffer bodily persecution. Uh, Paul said, you know that persecution and my affliction, that's the, the ninth one, affliction, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Strange thing happened at Lystra. Paul, when he first went there, uh, they wanted to bow down and worship him as some kind of God. And uh, Paul forbade that. But then it wasn't very long uh, until some of the 
Jews who had been hounding Paul's uh, trail across the country. The unbelieving Jews came down and stirred up that crowd in Lystra. And now instead of wanting to worship Paul as a god, they were ready to kill him. And they stoned him. They drug him outside the city and left him out there like some old dead piece of meat laying there. But miraculously, when Paul's followers uh, were getting ready for a funeral, uh, all of a sudden Paul opened his eyes and uh, God brought him around. Yet he said, Timothy, you know all about that. Now, I can't help but believe Timothy held Paul as a hero of the faith in his own mind and heart. He looked up to him. Paul said, uh, you know all these things. And if you live godly in Christ, you'll suffer persecution. But going down to verse 13, but he said, be aware of this. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That is, the word deceive or deceiving means to be led astray, to be pulled off of the right path. Now notice what he says, and here's what I want to think about. But he said, but continue thou, be steadfast in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. I wasn't just saying you learned all this from me, not at all. But he said, next verse, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise in salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Undoubtedly Timothy was brought up in a home where the scriptures of his day were honored. And I'm sure his mother and his grandmother must have oftentimes sat down and read God's word to him. As a parent, uh, don't miss that opportunity. Don't leave the spiritual education and training up to the school, up to the church, or the Sunday school. In other words, at home is where the greater lessons of God and His Word are going to be learned. And Timothy had learned these from 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 his childhood. Uh, uh, the things that you've learned uh, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scripture. A fellow said to me, he and his wife just had a baby, and uh, he said, uh, you know the first word that I'm going to teach my child? And I said, no. Daddy, I suppose. He said, oh. He said, I'm going to teach my child the word Jesus. He said, that's what I'm going to teach him. I want to be acquainted with Jesus. And uh, I think that's pretty good, I think it's pretty good teaching. Yet, from a child, Timothy had observed not only the life that his family lived, but he had heard the scripture. Now, though as important as the teaching at home is, yet it's so necessary that children be brought up in the atmosphere of a Bible-believing church among people who love God. Who, whose spirit is one of love for each other, how important that is uh, in the life and the training of a child. Now then, let me go on and point out to you uh, the two verses that I uh, have been thinking about. 
At verse number 16, he says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, if I had a title for these two verses, I'd simply call it this, information from inspiration. Information from inspiration. Or we could, based on what Peter says in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, we could say profit from the prophets. Profit from the prophets. Notice, if you will, that Paul begins by saying that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All of the great quotes that I read you tonight from some of these great men of our country and of the past. Indeed, they had profited by the Word and the reading of the Word of God. Now, a man will never profit who ignores God's book. But there is great profit in knowing God's plan for this world and for humankind. The reason so many make shipwreck in life, they have not read the instruction. This book is God's instruction book for us. It tells us about life. It tells us about the reason and the purpose of life. It tells us where life came from. It tells us where this world is headed. And, and so many are unaware that God gave us this book not because God needed it, but because you and I needed it. It's his instruction to us. Uh, how foolish it would be for a man to buy his wife a, a washing machine and uh, he brings it in and uh, she looks at it and he says, how do you like it? She said, oh, that's lovely. Well, she says, what are we going to do with it? Well, he said, I suggest, he said, uh, I don't really know everybody's got one, so I think we'll just get in it and take a ride downtown. Now, you may take a ride, but you're not going downtown in a washing machine. The whole story is you need to read the instruction. And so uh, the Word of God is profitable. Now, this Bible, the book of God, that Paul said that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration, by the way, comes from a Greek term that simply means uh, God's breath. Breathed of God. The book that you hold in your hand or you have laying in your lap is God's word. The very breath of God to us. Holy men of God, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 21 says, Holy men of God were moved by the Holy Ghost. And God's Spirit gave us this precious old Bible. And so uh, it is profitable because every word of it is the breath of God, not some of it. Now, some of the modern perversions translate this verse and say, every scripture given of God is inspired. 
Now, that is to say, we know which one is and which one isn't. So the one we pick out, that's inspired, but the rest uh, is not God's very word. But I believe this is God's word, and I believe it to be true, and I believe you can rely on it as men have from the days past. Now, he said it's profitable. I found this to be an interesting word. I looked this word up in the Hebrew language in which uh, the, uh, the word profitable in the Hebrew language. In the Hebrew language, this word means, uh, it means or comes from a primary root word meaning uh, to tremble or it means trembling. I thought, my, I wonder why that word was used when it concerns the scripture. And yet again, I find this. That men who tremble at the word of God have a deep reverence and respect for his word. You know, the Bible even talks about that in a, on an occasion, well, several occasions. Let me ask you to look back to Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66. And listen to these words. This is the last, I think that's the last chapter in Isaiah. Chapter 66, right? Look, if you will, at verse number 1 and looking down through verse 5. Follow this carefully. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you built unto me and where is the place of my rest? Now, I mean, that sets the stage. He is saying, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Now, someone of that greatness and that greatness of power, I mean, uh, I think any man would tremble before him if they recognize who he is. Well, for all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and, see these next words, and trembleth at my word. How long has it been since you trembled at what you found in God's word? I think of men and women today who never tremble. They never are shaken. They are never brought to the place of a holy fear of God. And this world is in a tailspin toward destruction because of that. Oh, how those who would defy our Lord and who would be slaughterers and murderers of little babies and those who advocated the liquor industry, all the folks that have been ruined, the dope and drug crowd, the pornography crowd, the violence that is in this land and those who, who snob God and have no use for him, nor his day, nor his church. There will come a day when men will tremble, but I fear it will be too late. Look, if you will, down at verse 5 of this same chapter. He says, hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Hear the word. You know, until a man has such a reverence and respect for God, He'll not hear the word of God. He'll not hear it. 
So he says, you that tremble at my word, you hear what I'm saying. And so this word profitable comes from that term. But in our English dictionary, the word profitable is defined as that which brings profit or gain, that which is advantageous, that which is beneficial or useful. Now we can understand that, can't we? The word of God is beneficial. Has this book benefited you? Has it become a useful tool in your life? Has there been given you an advantage because of God's precious word? I think of our country and its beginning. What an advantage. What a benefit. What, what a blessing it was and has been. This old book, what blessing to this very country of ours. Well, let me ask you to look on down four times gone. Don't look at the clock or I'll add uh, minutes to it. Look at this. Look at this. The word of God is profitable, Paul says, for uh, some six reasons. First of all, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 at verse 16, our verse, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Now that answers the question that so many ask. What is right? You hear everybody say, well, what's right and what's wrong? Well, the Bible gives the answer to what's right. And you'll find it in God's Word. Look back, if you will, to the Psalms for just a second. In Psalm 19, Psalm 19 and verse 7 and 8. This is a blessed verse to me today. Psalm uh, chapter 9 and uh, uh, verse, uh, chapter 19 and verse 7. Chapter uh, 19 and verse 7. All right. And the psalmist has this to say. 19 and verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now, if something perfect, would you say it's right? The law of the Lord. What's well, he talking about? His word is perfect doing what? Converting the soul. Oh, how many people have been brought to Christ just by reading the Bible. Uh, when we have the Gideon representatives here, I'm always blessed that the testimonies they give of people, say, in motel rooms or hospital rooms or, or wherever they have found one of those Bibles. Often, they're in, uh, the person's in distress. Some are literally contemplating suicide. And they, they pick up the Bible and start reading the Word of God. And God's Word brings a conviction to the soul, a realization of one's need of Christ. And thus, the law of the Lord is perfect in converting the soul. The testimony, same thing, the Bible, of the Lord is sure. That is, it's right. It's sure, it's certain. Making wise the simple. Now watch. The statutes of the Lord are what? They're right. What God given in your book. If you want to know what's right, you know where you're going to find what's right? In this book. You're going to go find it through the worldly crowd. She and dig and dancing crowd. You're not going to find it there. You're not going to find it through gambling crowd. You'll find what's right in God's Word. The Lord gives us His testimony, 
his statutes. And the psalmist says, they, they're right. Now what? The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. <laughs> you ever get happy reading the Bible? Huh? <laughs> well, I do. I just take a running fit. I know Papa does. He calls me all the time, day and night. Tell me what he found in the book. Rejoicing over what God's promised. Well, he said they rejo- the, the statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening, enlightening the eyes. That is, giving to us understanding. Well, while you're in the Psalms, look at Psalm 119. And read one verse with me there. Verse 128. Psalm 119, verse 128. Longest psalm, longest chapter in the Bible. Here it is. The psalmist, after all the testimony he had given concerning God's Word, and that's what Psalm 119 is all about, he says at verse 128, Therefore, I esteem, I consider, All thy precepts concerning all things. Get that? Concerning all things to be what? To be right. And then notice what he said. And I hate every false way. Now some of you may remember, you may not, but I'm going to remind you. I preached on that last statement some time back. I hate every false way. A salvation that's preached without the blood. Uh, uh, Becoming a Christian uh, by joining the church. Uh, All of those are false ways. That man's saved by being good, doing the best he can, trying to keep the commandments. The psalmist said, I hate every false way. And so the word of God, if you want to know what's right, you'll find it of the teaching, the doctrine of this blessed old book. Not only that, but he says, the word of God is profitable for reproof. The word doctrine tells us what's right. The Bible, in its reproof, tells us what is not right. A lot of folks say, well, I wonder if this is right or that's right. Is this right or wrong? The place you'll find the answer is in what the Scripture says. For God's Word will reprove you. For example, think of just the Ten Commandments. The Lord reproves us and He says, Thou shalt not steal. That's a reproof. He's saying if you're stealing, you're dishonest. Don't do that. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He said, if you're doing that, don't do it. It's not right. And he said, you'll have no other gods before me. If you've got something between you and the Lord God, don't do that, God said. How many of you parents have ever had to say to your child, don't do that. Don't do that. Now, do you know what? The child may get irritated with all of that. And I don't think we need to be as negative as some of us are. My wife and I started counting the other day with our grandchildren. How many times we said, don't do that. Don't do that, you know, just something all the time. Well, sometimes we need reproving. And God's word will reprove us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We thought we were all right. 
And we got in the Word of God and began to hear God's Word and we were reproved. We realized that we were a sinner in need of a Savior. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11, Paul said, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, talking to a Christian. But rather, he said, do what? Reprove them. You know, Brother Ira, I think we need more preachers, and I'm talking myself now. I think we need more preachers who will just get up and flat say to a congregation, what you're doing is not right. The way you're acting is not right. That's a reproof. That's not easy to reprove people. And a fool will reject reproof. But a wise man will receive instruction. So the Bible... A lot, of, the reason, a lot of folks don't like to read the Bible is because of its reproof. I mean, it said, hey, you're on the wrong track, son. You're doing the wrong thing. Not only that, but the Bible, according to what Paul says here, is profitable also for correction. Now, he's already told us what is right. The Bible do that. The Bible tells you what's not right. And with this word correction, the Bible is saying how to get right. To tell you how to get right. If the child of God is sinned, the Bible tells you how to get right. Confess your sin. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I got to hurry on through. Look, if you will. And the next thing Paul says is profitable from the Bible, and that is instruction. It's profitable for instruction. You know what that, that answers? It answers how to stay right. How to stay right. God's Word will instruct you. For example, the Christian says, uh, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the way to stay, right? Stay on your knees. Pray always without ceasing. Uh, God gives us instruction on how indeed to stay right. He goes on to say something else. Look at verse 17. That the man of God may be perfect. Boy, that's a scary word, isn't it? But the word perfect here is not talking about somebody who is without sin. Is talking about being grown up in the Lord, mature, spiritually developing. And so uh, this very word of instruction, uh, uh, the perfection, tells us how to grow right. How do you do that? It's through the Word of God. Now, I like singing. I like all kind of things in the church, but I'm going to tell you something. The only thing that cause you to really grow is the milk and meat of God's Word. Nothing else will do it. And if you would grow right, you're going to have to get in the Word of God. And Peter said it, did he not? In 1 Peter, or 2 Peter, is it? Chapter 3 and verse 18. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? You grow in his knowledge through his word and through daily fellowship with him. 
And then finally, he tells us how to work right. Look at the last part of this verse. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's production. Production. How to work right. Now, how are you going to work right as Christians? Let me say this. No man, I don't care how loud, how religious he is, how he may boast of his spirituality, no work is right work if it is contrary to the teaching and the doctrine of the Word of God. And there are a lot of little fly-by-night organizations that come along, and God has chosen, listen to me, God has chosen to do his work through his church. I believe that. And all of these other parachurch groups, if only we would give our time and devotion to God's church. Oh, what a difference that'd be. How to work right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, here it is. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. That's why you ought to come to church. You ought to do it for the glory of God. That's why you ought to read the Bible, for the glory of God. Why you ought to live right, for the glory of God. That's why we ought to serve right. That's why we ought to be a servant. But we do it not as I service and men pleasers, but as unto God for his glory. Let me tell you this. If a person is doing in so-called Christian service what he's doing for the glory of God, that'll solve a lot of jealousy, envy, misunderstanding, division, if we just would do it for the glory of God. And whatever we're doing, we don't care if we get the glory or not, but that God is glorified. The Word of God inspired, the breath of God is profitable. I trust you'll profit, you'll gain, you'll find advantage, you'll find benefit in your life as you get acquainted daily with God's precious book. Well, let's pray together.